Welcome to Season 5 of the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors Worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of meaningful conversations and convener of community. I continue to find so much gratitude for all the warriors willing to share their stories with us. Thank you for having patience with us during our brief hiatus at the end of season four to spend time for self-care, but also to honor the countless individuals who are on the front lines of this global pandemic trying to keep everyone safe. I feel indebted to the medical professionals who carried me through transplant and it only felt right to take a break and spend time honoring their dedication to saving the lives of others. Of course, season five wouldn't be the same without revisiting our dear friend, Allie Strong, who we'll talk to in just a moment. But it does remain super important to clarify that I'm not a doctor of medicine, but of educational leadership. And that means this podcast should not be interpreted as one that offers medical advice, but rather unique personal experiences. And so the interviews shared on this podcast are simply intended to offer insights and create connections, reveal grace and express gratitude, promote wellness and cultivate well-being. So if you think you have a medical issue, please contact a licensed physician. And so whether you are or know someone who is battling multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes, scleroderma, lupus, or any of the multiple autoimmune diseases that HSCT can halt, or are simply inspired by transformational journeys, you're in the right place. As we continue to grow, the HSCT Warrior Community illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome, Allie. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me back. I was going to say welcome back. (laughs) It's so great to begin each season with a friend and someone who's had such a meaningful HSCT experience or continues to find meaning in your experience and then sharing it with us. So thank you so much for taking time. My pleasure. To help us open season five. I can't believe it's season five. It's so exciting. And maybe because it, you know, seasons roll out twice a year. So, but. But it's still exciting that you're at season five. You know, that's a lot of interviews you've had. Indeed. Indeed. And two years. And a lot of education that gets out there in the world. And a lot of listeners that I'm so grateful for. Mm-hmm. You're doing very, very, very good work. Thank you. I couldn't do it without people like you willing to share you. your journey. Thank so you. thanks so much for continuing to let us dig into it. <laughs> Always. So how have things been going with recovery or continuing recovery for you post HSCT now? It'll be yeah. two, three years. Well, come this winter, yes, November 6th will be three years. Um, as you also are coming up on three years. Indeed. Um, First of all, I cannot believe it's been three years. I'm like, where has that time gone? Same. I am doing really well. I feel grateful every single day 
that my journey with HSCT is what it is and that my body has been able to rebuild in the way it has. Remind me how long you were living with MS prior to HSCT. Um, Prior to HSCT, I was living with MS for, well, diagnosed for 15 years at the time I had the transplant and living with it probably between 25 and 30 years. With a lot of unknown, right? Yes. I would say closer to to 30 years. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And so I know people reach out and ask, you know, is there a time limit, if you will, that might affect efficacy of HSCT? Or they question, am I too old? Or, you know, can I still go through with this if I've been diagnosed for 30 years? Right. So I can only give my own personal opinion on that. And I only give my personal opinion because I have spoken to other people who have gotten it or who have looked into it and were denied because of either their symptoms or their age or, you know, the extent of damage from the MS already. So I would say there is, there is a limit. I would say that If your body has really been damaged by the disease to a great extent, you may not get the same benefits that other people get if they get it sooner or before they have any, you know, extensive disability. But I would, I would hope that every person, despite their level of disability would at least look into it because if it can at least stop the progression from where you are, and maybe you get some regeneration. I think any bit of that is worth it. Sure. Halting, in my opinion. Yeah. Halting the progression in and of itself. And all, right. And also as far as limit, I think it's also as a whole, not just the MS, but what it has done to you. But, you know, uh, your level of health, you know, can the body withstand the treatment itself? Or is the, is the level of chemotherapy too detrimental to your system. And so the bad would outweigh the good. Sure. Well, and that the answer to that comes through a lot of the rigorous testing we all go through. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but even to your point of ensuring the body is prepared to withstand chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, detoxing is a huge part of what I experienced with recovery and supporting my kidneys to do the work. Right. So how might someone go about preparing for the onslaught of chemo to make sure their body is prepared for HSCT or prepared for getting the most out of HSCT? Right. Um, so my, my thoughts on this come from two places. They come one from my own experience with the journey and my 20 year experience leading up to my HSCT journey. Um, my own personal studies and re- research on health, wellness, nutrition, and the body. Plus, also being a health coach, I have been trained in, you know, a hundred dietary theories and, you know, what it means for the body to process, you know, carbs, fats, proteins, um, minerals, vitamins, amino acids, all those things. So... I speak from those two places, but also preface this with, 
I am not a medical professional and I am not a clinical nutritionist. So I don't say any of this um, to anybody out there, any of your listeners without saying, you know, always consult with your own physicians first. Sure. Um, Never take the advice of another person with anything they say, you know, always take it and then take it back to your own physicians because you may have underlying issues or you may be on medications that actually, you know, there are medications that even though vitamins and minerals and supplements, we all think they're pretty natural, they can affect some of the medications taken on the market. So always check with your own physicians. Um, to your point. Well, and that's such an I important think, reminder. Thank you so much. Yes, sure. But my theory is this. When you've been accepted to get your transplant and you are preparing for it, you know, I think there's a couple key factors that I like to think people would know this already. This would be a common sense factor. But the truth is, there are plenty of people who just think it's a, it's, a, it's a way of their life or whatever. Even for a very social drinker, you know, like goes out on the weekends, goes out to dinner, has a glass of wine, stop drinking. Take the alcohol out of your system leading up into the months before transplant. Stop smoking. If you are a smoker, get any possible treatment you can to get you to stop smoking. You must stop smoking and give your lungs a little bit of a break and start to clear those cells up before the transplant. Um, the chemotherapy puts a tremendous weight on our heart. So, um, and that is science-based. That is not my opinion. Um, chemotherapy can weigh down the heart. It, it changes the, you know, the rhythm of the heart. So it does put some pressure there. So you want to, and it also puts pressure on the lungs, you know. So our body is going through so much breakdown in order to prepare us, us for the transplant itself. And you want to clean it up with those. I think those are the two biggest keys. Stop drinking alcohol and stop smoking cigarettes. Um, also, when it comes to nutrition, you know, look at your diet. Look at what you're eating on a real, and, and be honest with yourself. Because it's not about what other people think you're eating or what other people say. It's, it's your own truth. You know, are you eating a lot of processed foods? Do you eat a lot of greasy foods? Do you eat, are you, uh, you know, heavily dairy and gluten-based meals. I think you have to look at those things because there are triggers in a lot of those. They are inflammatory foods. And there's enough studies, I think, on the, on the market today in science, um, in medicine, to prove that gluten can be an extremely sensitive trigger for people, even when they don't have celiac. It's an inflammatory food. Dairy is an inflammatory food. Um, eating a lot of red meat is inflammatory. Um, even the Walls Protocol, which calls for meat, it's a, it's a heavy paleo plus uh, way of eating, which is for MS and autoimmune issues. I feel that too much meat is a trigger to inflammation in the body mm-hmm. because meat, you know, heavy meats like red meats and steaks and things like that, they do have to rot in our system and break down before we pass them out. And so that's a weight on our system. And we wanna clean our systems and detox them and purify them as much as possible so that they are in the best shape they can be. Obviously we can't control what happens the minute we walk into an HSCT facility and we give over, you know, we have to give over all medical control to the team that's gonna treat us. Because once you're there, it is completely out of your control. And the only thing that someone can control is their own mindset. Everything else, you have to hand it over, let it go. But prior to that, you have all the control to do your best job in becoming the healthiest version to lead into this, disease, to, to this treatment 
because more importantly than getting you through the treatment is the back end of recovery. And I was, I was told that by several people um, at Northwestern, which is where I had my treatment, as you know, with Dr. Burt. I was told by my own neurologist and by um, nurse and clinical clinicians there and even Dr. Burt that my way of lifestyle, my way of eating and the way that I was training my body was definitely going to help me on the back end, which is the recovery time. And thank God it did. It, it helped me so much. And when I came back from the treatment and I was home, and even though I was weak those first you know, weeks home, because we're kind of like getting back up on our own feet without the, the help of our nurses and techs and people coming in to help us every day. I kept my lifestyle of very clean eating. Um, and I also kept movement. So even in my weakest moments, even if I was laying in bed in those first few weeks at home, um, I had bands that I used or I got up and at least walked around my home and then I would sit back down. Um, I started doing my own cleaning stuff. Like I would run the vacuum because I felt like pushing the vacuum with each arm was like a workout for me. And I was somebody who worked out six days a week. So my MS was not affecting my limbs. It was affecting my digestion, which was um, coming close to being completely shut down, which it had done in the past. And also my cognition was very, very bad. But my physical use, I could still work out. And I was working out six days a week leading up to HSCT. So on the back end, when I came home, it was like after the chemotherapy and the treatment, I felt like I had never even worked out before. Like that's how weak and atrophied my muscles were from just that time in the hospital. And so for me, any little thing that I could do to work on building my muscle back gave me a sense of purpose and a sense of control back. Movement is key with helping our body process all of those chemicals of chemo, right? And Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why they make us walk. Yeah, right. Well, and just helping to generate new stem cells as your body does regularly anyway. But yeah, creating that space in your tissues and your muscles for new oxygen to flow and blood cells to flow and all of that I think helps create an environment of support for that new immune system to grow. Yeah. yeah so, so even though it's not helpful. even though it's not technical advice from you or or medical advice, I still find you to be a guru of nutrition. So <laughs> I appreciate Thank you sharing you. your insights because of course I too had a pretty strict diet going into HSCT. Exactly. And coming home, I have continued with that. Um, and how do you feel it's made a difference in your, you know, leading up to your treatment, during your treatment and post-treatment? Yeah. So I feel as though I had, I supported myself to not have many complications at all during transplant because of the food I ate. And nurses told me that, right? Mm -hmm. Like there were Mm -hmm. five foods I could eat on the menu at Northwestern. Right. Right. Andy would go to Trader Joe's and get me an avocado just Mm -hmm. to snack on or um, clean foods. Just having whole simple foods is easier for your body to process than like you said, manufactured processed foods. Right. Um, And I think that helps your kidneys do the good work of detox, Mm -hmm. right? And so Mm -hmm. when they're not distracted by trying to break down the mac and cheese that you ordered. (laughs) (laughs) I listen, and and I will say this, 
there was a couple things. Obviously, I couldn't eat most of the menu myself either. But I did break my own rule. I'm not a carbohydrate eater as far as refined carbohydrates. But there was, you know, the way that I um, had symptoms from the chemotherapy was I had intensive bloating. Like I, I blew up. I gained 15 pounds in two days um, when I started my treatment. They had to give me all this stuff to try to release the fluid. So I was getting LASIK and all that. and It wasn't working. So then they gave me magphytrate to kind of try to get it all out of me. And some of it helped. But, you know, after the transplant, when I was able to feel like I could eat something, because I didn't have an appetite at all. Um, I The only thing that I could get into my mouth was a plain bagel with peanut butter. Interesting. So there was nothing else I had a taste for. You know, I'm a huge coffee person. Um, most of the time I drink decaf, which, you know, people always are amused, like, why do you drink coffee if it's decaf? Um, I don't drink it for the caffeine. I drink it because it's the a kind flavor. of flavor. It's a ritual. It's a flavor and a ritual for me. And I could not, not first, I couldn't even take the smell of coffee when I was in Northwestern, hmm. um, which I was shocked about. Like, but I could not drink a sip. I just had tea and water. And the only thing I could consume in the beginning when we started to heal back was uh, a bagel toasted with peanut butter. It's the only thing I could eat, um, which, you know, was crazy for me. So that was my time when I was like, okay, this isn't horrible, but I couldn't get down vegetables, steamed vegetables. I couldn't at the time. That was just the whatever weird taste for going on in myself. But you know, things were interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. The nurses, like I know because I, you know, if people listening had heard our previous conversations, I came to visit you before my treatment started and was, you know, got my inspiration from my room because of you um, with the Zen, whole Zen feel. And that's what we did with my whole room. And I remember when I was getting ready to leave and Michelle came in, one of the nurse practitioners came in at the end with our discharge papers and said, and I was by myself because my mom had gotten sick and couldn't come back. And my sister hadn't come back from New York. So I was kind of alone. And she came in and we were talking about my discharge and I had like a million questions about food. I wanted to be very, very clear on what I could eat, and what I couldn't, mm. what could pose a danger. And she said to me, I will never forget her words. She said to me, I just have to say, that out of any HSCT patient I have ever treated through this program, you are the one person our team doesn't worry about when it comes to food. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed and she laughed and I thought, all right, listen, I just want to be clear. She's like, I don't think anybody's ever asked the questions you've asked about vegetables and this and that. And she was laughing. She's like, we are not worried about you going home. <laughs> Well, yeah, I remember even in those first few months, you took a long time before you would eat even fresh fruit. Yeah, I was, uh, I was a little crazy. And I, it's great to me, I was shocked when people were like, Oh, I'm three months out, I've gone out to dinner, and I've done this. And I didn't go out to eat for 10 months, I think, mm. because I was just really afraid. And also at the four month mark, um, when the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. So for our city, it was a huge deal. Um, I went to, I started to not feel good that morning and I went to a little Super Bowl soiree at my sister's house and I was so sick that I had to leave and I ended up getting rushed to the hospital later that night with massive food poisoning and I was in the hospital for three days 
literally unconscious. They had medicated me so deeply because I was so sick. And I remembered in that moment thinking, laying in my bed, waiting to go to the hospital, thinking this is what one, our paperwork said. And I had heard from the team before I left was the one thing that could really take you down is a foodborne illness. Mm. And I thought, oh, my God, this is it. I went through all this, and now this is it. I know this is what's happening. My friend brought over takeout, and it was just like a rotisserie chicken. And I thought, well, it's cooked. And I had like a slice of the potato that came with it. And I remember saying to him, this tastes like dirt. And he's like, I don't taste that. So, of course, I thought, well, maybe it's just my taste buds are weird right now as I'm starting to get. You know, because there was some things that tasted different to me in the beginning. And I remember thinking, saying, I think this tastes really weird. And sure enough, that night I was violently sick and and ended up so sick that my white count dropped down into the ones while I was in the hospital. So, um, yeah, so I really... (laughs) I'm a really big advocate for, you know, don't eat takeout and don't eat out in restaurants, you know, for a good six months. Give your give your body a chance to really build some immunity again before you take that on, Um, because we can't, you know, we're not fully built back at that soon. Our bodies can't handle that for us yet. Right. Um, So, you know, food to me is how I healed everything prior to HSCT. It's how I dealt with my MS. For a long, long time. And I always use my body as my lab because I say, you know, our bodies are our best laboratory ever. Use yourself as your experiment. What feels good? What doesn't feel good? What foods give me energy? What foods take away my energy? Pay attention to your symptoms. Start writing down things that don't feel good and then have a list so you can call your doctor and say, hey, you know, you don't want to call your doctor every day with a symptom. You know, take a week, unless it's a serious thing. If you just feel little things, make notes of it. Write it down. Put the date. Put the time of day. What did you eat that morning? What were you doing? You know, start ex- making the experiment about yourself. That's how we learn about ourselves. And when people get discouraged, like, how do I make a change and eat better? The one thing I would say is the biggest thing is, remember this. If what you're eating isn't the ingredient itself, then you're eating processed food. Mm. Because real food is the only ingredient. Right. So whole real foods are the best way to get, you know, I'm not a big, I don't take multivitamins. I never really did. And I've seen a lot of doctors and healers and nutritionists and West, you know, uh, Chinese medicine and herbalists over the years. Um, I've had my, um, my system tested for nutrient absorption. I've gone through chelation. I've done all these things. The best way to get the nutrients you need is from real whole food, real food. That's so true. Shop the outer perimeters of the market. Mm. Don't go inside and people say, well, I have kids. Well, listen, the best thing you can do for your kids is to teach them the same thing. I'm not saying withhold treats from your kids, but, you know, go to better markets. Um, Try to find healthier alternatives because even if it is packaged and processed, there are still packaged processed foods that contain less chemicals than our traditional companies. So stop counting calories, people, and start counting chemicals. Ingredients, yeah. And that's where you start to make the changes. I've definitely become more of a label reader Mm post-transplant. And I mean, even when I was in Chicago, 
Andy would go to get me an avocado because my potassium levels after chemo were low. And so I was taking a potassium pill every day and Mm -hmm. I was self pay. And I was like, well, wait a second. Bananas are high in potassium. Avocados are high in potassium. I wonder if I can regulate my levels on my own by supplementing with food. And so Mm -hmm. I ate a banana every morning and an avocado every afternoon. And sure enough, I was able to get that potassium pill out. I did not eat avocados like you, but I did eat bananas every day um, with the peanut butter and this. (laughs) When I... um, I did also have to take the potassium pills and also I was getting the potassium through an IV as well because it wasn't going up. And finally I said to one of the, you know, we, we, we were so lucky, Jen, we had the best nurses oh ever. Oh my gosh, we did. Oh my God. And I remember saying to one of my favorites, I said, listen, I keep out every day you give me this pill and then you put a bag up there with more potassium and my levels aren't changing. Can I just drink coconut water and see what happens? And so they did, they let me, um, they let me drink coconut water, which I, we had brought in and they kind of cleaned the boxes and they poured it for me and they let me drink it. And sure enough, my potassium healed. That's so, so that thing that works for everybody, just because it worked for me, it doesn't mean it'll work for everybody. And everybody that eats avocados may not have the same outcome you had, but these are things people should think about. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't always have to rely on big pharma. I'm not against it. It's just give me the proof. Right. And when it's not working, try something different, especially if it's something different, that's not going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And an avocado, a banana and coconut water aren't going to hurt us. Right. But it is some, it it is possible that it will help us. And in our cases it did. Well, and you know, what's so interesting. I went to my primary care physician just yesterday or the day before, and we did my annual exam and just checking in. I haven't needed to go for illness or anything. So she said, well, the latest thing I'm doing now is this genetic sequencing to look at your DNA and where there are maybe some mutations or markers and how they interact with food and the environment and any supplements that you might need to be taking to support maximize Mm -hmm. function of your body and even digestion and extracting nutrients from food so I said let's do this sign me up so I spit in a tube and it's being shipped and I should have results within four to six weeks but I'm so excited I think I can't wait to hear like I keep me posted because to me that's super exciting I would I definitely want to do one of those you know programs like 23andMe or something not ancestry necessarily but the ones that look for those things in your body and your blood and yeah, your markers, this is more so. specific than 23 and me and yeah i think that's so amazing i similar. would love to do that it's called mm-hmm. your genomic resource and like they have a website genomic your genomic resource.com so it's possible that someone could convince cool. and maybe like there are certain doctors that sign up for this right i don't know how yeah. it works in order to secure a test but yeah. So one of the things that I did when I did get back, I mean, it was not recently, it was just about a year ago I did it, but I went through the Genova um, sensitivity testings, which I'd done many years ago, but I did it again. And, you know, I grew up extremely lactose intolerant. Like I spent five days at CHOP when I was little um, going through testing because I had been such a sickly child. And it turns out I had severe lactose intolerance and I was eating ice cream and drinking milk every day when I was little. Um, 
so I had the Genova testing done again about a year ago and all the things that I had had when I was younger were non-existent. I, first of all, I'm not lactose intolerant at all. Fascinating. Um, there was not a single, a single thing that came up on the testing. One thing that did come up was I became, uh, in the red zone, aller- uh, allergy or sensitivity, should I say, to shrimp, which I ate all my life. But now that I became um, last summer, so before I did the testing, I was diagnosed with Graves' disease, which is hypothyroidism. And the thyroid is linked to iodine. And sure enough, on my Genova testing, it came up that I was the only thing that I had a reaction to was shrimp. Fascinating. Isn't that crazy? It really is. I know. I'm so, I'm so intrigued. I always, I love science. <laughs> well, and DNA can change, right? I mean, yeah, it's so fascinating to me. Um, so. I'm excited. I always, I've been wanting to know more about my mitochondria and my microbiome yeah. and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this will give some insights. So yeah, I'll keep posted cool. for sure. So why was it important for you to participate in the podcast and continually respond to my invitation, which I appreciate so much, just you taking the time to talk with us and give us updates, but also I want you to be able to find value and return on your investment of time and sharing with us. So I'm just curious to know why you accept the invitation. Um, well, first and foremost, I would say I, w- I accept it because I have a great respect for you as a person and as a friend. Oh, you're sweet. Um, and so from that, from that, from that little place, I am honored to be your season opener. I was really glad that we met when we did. Um, I also believe that by sharing stories and giving updates, it's giving your listeners and the um, MS and autoimmune community um, more education. You know, sometimes somebody, you can hear, you know, a million stories and then it's that one person or that one thing they say that changes everything. And I remember this because before the transplant, I was going through um, just, I was so sick the year leading up to it. I've never been that sick in my entire life. I've never suffered so bad from my disease until that time. And I was going through the Walsh protocol and I was on a Facebook group for the Walsh protocol and people were writing in and, and I would post something and I would get tons of comments and, and nothing was working. And one day this one person in Buffalo, New York, made a comment to me and maybe it was the time and the place and the moment, but it triggered something and it changed everything for me. And we ended up taking our conversation offline and three years now we have stayed friends. And I actually have been out to dinner with her in Buffalo in the past leading up to my transplant. Um, and we became very good friends and you just never know. So for me to do this, you never know what one thing I say might trigger for someone else and make that difference. Sure. So I like to do it and be a part of it. One, because HSCT changed my life. It gave me my life back. Um, I was in a really bad place with my MS. Like I said, I wasn't, my limbs were not affected. My walking was fine. My arm was affected because I had, and towards the end, I had lost use of my right arm and my hand, which is my dominant Um, It came back with steroids, but my hand was affected and my little finger, my pinky on my right hand has has had permanent damage. So um, 
I just, I think that there's always a golden nugget somewhere from someone at some time. And so I do it because, like I said, this changed my life. It gave it back to me. And if my words can inspire or help someone, then it's worth it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's one of those gifts in life for others to take the time to realize that their story might help others. And there's so much to be said for the continuity or at least checking back in on the story, right? Because it Mm -hmm. helps to prove I'm talking to a real person. (laughs) We're not making this up. This is a real experience. It is. And And that's why I changed what I did for a living. That's how I got into this career change because I realized that after I went through all this, it wasn't just my childhood traumas and life stories, but then the icing on the cake was the transplant and coming through it. I knew that my stories could impact someone, just even one person. I knew that it would mean something. And it feels so good to give back to that community, right? Yes. I think it's always better to give back than to receive. In my opinion, I feel a hundred times happier as a human when I know that I could help someone else versus taking some from someone else. Totally on the same page with you. Like it's that internal motivation that keeps you doing your good work. And I know you left behind a pretty significant career post-transplant and a lot of money, right? And status. I did. And now you don't have as much, but how does that feel almost three years later? Like, do you still feel good about that pivotal transition? I feel like it was the best decision I ever made. And it's funny because there are still moments where I think about the people I worked with at the end, the company, they were, you know, um, they're just, they were good people. And and I had, you know, just brief, you know, check-ins and conversations with some of them over the last couple of years, just to say hello. Um, But to feel so valued in a company you work for and to do work that's so important. Um, Walking away from it still today is the best decision I ever made because I am now living my most fulfilling and true life. And again, yes, I walked away from a lot more money um, and such good benefits and a community of people that I worked with to be on my own, isolated, and making very little money, you know, but the money will come. It's funny. I'm not concerned about the money because if I could just make ends meet, which I am making, just making ends meet, that's okay because someday it'll come later. I still wake up very happy every single day. Mm, People say you're happy every day. It's like this line on, on sex in the city where Samantha turns to, to Charlotte and says, you're happy every day. <laughs> and the truth is, I'm not happy all day, every day. I have my moments. I have bad days, but I wake up happy every single day of my life. That's amazing. Because it's a new day. What do I have? What's shitty when you wake up in the morning? Right. Nothing. Even if you don't like your job that you have to go to, the moment you wake up, it's not shitty yet. No, yeah, it's brand new. So like you get the opportunity to make the most of that day, even if you don't like what you're doing and then work towards what you want and be the best version of yourself at the job you don't like, still do your best, still be authentic and work towards the one thing you want most. 
because if you believe it, you can do it. Authenticity so, is huge, right? And I think I, like yeah. to be in that diseased state of mind, I feel like I was not authentic a hundred percent of the time because you not know, at all. I was constantly trying to hide my disease and all the pain mm-hmm. I was in to just yep. fight through the day. And absolutely yes, always something about always fighting. Something about that it's not even just the trauma we went through of HSCT, but just the total transformation. Mm-hmm. allows me to be that authentic self now every day. And that is amazing. Every day we get to live our true self, our authentic self. Um, and we get to make our life what we want it to be. And, and I'm going to say this, like you just said in, in a, a previous statement that, you know, these are real stories, real people that you have come on here. So you're not just putting out like bullshit you know, stuff in this podcast. These are real people and real stories. This is real. You know, we lived with a disease that was deteriorating us and we were hiding it from the world around us. And so you can't be yourself. I know I did. I know I I, I hid the amount of pain every day because I was raising a daughter and I was her one single parent and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to have her looking at me with concern and fear every day. So if I had to hide it um, because I felt like that was the right thing to do, I'm not saying it is, but for me, that's what I was going through. Whereas today I am so true to myself that when I have something going wrong, I don't care if she sees it because what she's learning is how to bounce back. Mm. But you know what? You take it as it comes and then deal with it and move on because that's, that's how life works. Yeah. That's the human experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, don't more people deserve to end that suffering, to yes. be their authentic self, to learn about HSCT and find a pathway to at least yes. halting the progression of that disease state of life and having that opportunity that transformation brings. And people need to, you know, realize that what they see on social media, most of the time it's not real. You're seeing a highlighted version of people's lives. It's, it's and, and, and the most authentic Instagram accounts you can find are the ones that actually tell you that what you're looking at most of the time is what they want you to see. Mm. But yet on the other side, they'll also let you see who they really are. Those are the accounts you want to be following, not the accounts where everything looks perfect because that's not how life is. And no account and no Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or, you know, whatever people want you to see. None of it is a hundred percent real. So, you know, when I started my business, I looked, I followed, I had a lot of mentors. I looked at a lot of people's profiles and what they were doing and, you know, all these perfect programs where people were putting out and I was like, Oh, I can't do that. Like, I don't, those are things I'm not strong at. Those aren't my strong suits. And I remember one time I I was working with my own coach and she said, so how are you, how are you handling, you know, building your programs? And I'm like, well, I don't understand what you're saying. And she was like, what, what do you do? How do you handle a client? And I said, well, we have our call, which I take my notes, I ask the questions and then I follow up and I have action steps and I do this. And she goes, and what's wrong with that? How, you know, is it not working? And I said, no, it's working great. She goes, well, there's your program. And in that moment, I realized that again, I had to, that was my reminder, be authentic. This is who you are. This is the way you coach people. It's not the way so-and-so coaches people. And that's okay. And that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. This is who I am. 
as a coach and this is what I do. And you, and if you are, benefit, great. You're a gift to I the world. It. You really are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know what, Jen, I, you know, these past few moments of our talking about authenticity, there were definitely times in my life when I was younger that I never thought I'd be able to live exactly who I felt like inside. I always put on a persona. Like I grew up in a neighborhood that I felt like I never fit in. I grew up around friends that I love, but I didn't quite match lifestyles. And so for me, I, you know, turning 50 in September and finally I feel like I am who I am meant to be and I can be exactly who that is. And for the first time, I don't care what other people think about my decisions because if I'm happy with them, that's all that matters. Beautiful. May we all find that confidence. (laughs) I mean, that is, it's a life journey. And I too have found that confidence. Well, confidence comes from courage. Mm. So if you have the courage to walk into that space that you really want, then you will learn confidence because it comes from that courage. And I didn't have that courage and I didn't have confidence. But in the last, you know, two years post-transplant where I really started to discover what I wanted and who I wanted to be. And I started to plant seeds. Now, two years later, some of those seeds are actually starting to come to fruition now. Hmm. They're starting to show those buds and those flowers. But I was doing the work and I was digging deep and I did the work on myself. The transformation was within me. And so to be able to say I had the courage to walk into the things that scared me most, which is, wow, what are people going to think? What if they don't like what I say? What if they don't like how I dress? What if they don't like the person I choose as a partner? I walked through that and I got courage and that courage led to confidence. And that confidence led me into this coaching career, which said, I am worth it. I can do this. I have so much to offer. And thankfully my clients have given me back those testimonials to say, this was life-changing. This helped me see things in such a different way. I feel like I can finally move forward. Um, And that's the reward of my gaining courage. That's so powerful. So where do you think you found the courage to go through HSCT or to pursue it? Because I know there's people out there who are fearful and it is a fearful journey, right? And for me, Mm -hmm. it was more about desperation and getting to that point of no return and knowing. Well, that's exactly what it was for me too. Mm. That's where I found the courage was when I sat in my doctor's office. And and I want to say this first and foremost, I adore my doctor. I had gone through over 20 years. I've gone through lots of different doctors, you know, the best of the best facilities, you know, top notch medical institutions, the best doctor in this field, I've gone to them all. And I ended up with my doctor in Philadelphia, who in the end, I had the most faith in, because he was the one to say to me sometimes, I, have, I, I can't answer your questions, I don't know, but then would come back to me with the answer later. And when I left him after I didn't leave him, he's still my doctor, but I don't, I haven't had to see him in a long time. And we still keep in touch. But when I was kind of ending, you know, post-transplant journeys. And he said to me, you taught me more than I have ever taught you. And that's where I really knew that I had sealed the deal with the doctor that I really had faith in. And in his office pre-transplant before ever knowing really what it was when he said to me, 
you know, when I had gotten the sickest and everything was going wrong. I mean, it had been a year that he had had me on st- off and on steroid treatments and I wasn't going to remission. And I was having symptoms that I had never had. And he said, I don't know what else we can do. I mean, there's Lemtrada, but I don't want you to, I don't, I don't think I would touch you with Lemtrada. I, I think that it would actually be worse for you. And Ocrevus wasn't quite, it was just about to come mm-hmm. on the market. And it was still so unknown. And um, he said, there's really no other treatment right now on the market currently that, that will do anything. You know, you're progressing faster than we can keep up with it. And when I walked out of that office and my mom was crying and she said, because she always, I mean, for my whole journey, she's been at every doctor's appointment almost. She's amazing. And, and she said, um, she was crying and she's like, you know, like what happens now? And, and I remember thinking, um, and even after I finally had researched the treatment and went back to his office with her and he said, I think this is the best thing you could ever do. And, and, and word for word, he said to me, not that he was calling me stupid. He said, you'd be stupid if you didn't take this opportunity being given to you. Mm. And my mother started to cry. I think she started to cry and she said, but she could die. That's the first thing that could happen. And he looked in there and he said, Judy, you've been coming here for 10 years. She's dying anyway. She's dying every day inside. And he and I just looked at each other and it was that moment of knowing that we were on the exact same page and that I had his support. And I said, there isn't one thing in my mind that scares me enough more than scares me about losing myself. Mm. There's nothing about this treatment scares me more than losing myself, which is happening every day. And that was it. From that moment on, it was just full, full force forward. And isn't it curious, like just that fear of losing yourself and now on the other side, even being so transformed from who you thought you were, right? Well, I think I was losing myself Mm. for sure. And on the other side of this, it was in the hospital um, after um, Carol had passed and Brandy had left and I was alone Mm. without my, you know, my bunnies and tiaras and it was that moment when they sent the chaplain in to talk to me and I found myself. So I was losing myself before it, but then I found myself. And when the moment I found myself, I knew I could never ever go back to my old life ever. And that started the process. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. It's the truth. Powerful. Authentically true. (laughs) powerful so what are you what do you continue to be grateful for about hsct i'm grateful every single day that i get to live this life that i get to live what i feel is a full life um i get to be physical i get to eat again probably the most grateful i'll be Mm. honest is the fact that i spent 11 years with digestive disruption and almost and at one point had shut down my whole system and then building back and then few months before starting pre-testing, the worst I'd ever been. Ever, ever, ever. I'd never felt pain like this in my whole existence and feeling like I wanted to die, literally. And now th- the day after the transplant, I remember being so sick that first day, the fever and the feeling like, oh, I'm never going to survive this. But at the same time, I had no stomach pain, mm. none. 
none whatsoever. Like it was like, I knew, I knew in those days after the transplant itself that if nothing else changed, but I didn't have that pain in my stomach, in my gut that felt like someone was just tearing me apart with a machete, Mm. if nothing else changed except that, that was good enough for me. Yeah. That was good enough for me. And I am so grateful every day that I don't have that. Yeah, it's such a distraction to be in that much pain. Oh my gosh! Continually yeah. it takes away your life. Oh, it truly does. Mm-hmm. Truly, oh. truly. Mm-hmm. So, I just appreciate you so much, and again, continually sharing with us insights that you're gaining along your journey with recovery. Are there any other nuggets of wisdom that you have found in your new career um, as a coach and? and life and health coach, because that was so new for you. It was new for me two years um, ago. And, and now mm-hmm. you're, yeah, what I've learned is, um, cause I just, you know, like you do, I, I'm, I'm a sponge for learning about health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So I always feel like there's room for growth, no matter how good I'm doing. I, I know there's room for growth. You know, I, I feel like I probably have said this in previous interviews we've done for the openings, but it, to me, it always, always comes back to choice. Everybody has a choice. And, I, and, and when people say to me, but I don't have a choice, I don't have any money or I don't, you know, I, I'm in a, this job that I hate every day and it's deteriorating me, but I don't know what else to do. And, or, you know, I have MS and I, I'm in a wheelchair and I can't do this. But the truth is, Jen, everybody has a choice. The first one is when you open your eyes in the morning, you get to make the choice if you're happy or not happy. And if you opened your eyes and you're breathing, that alone gives you the reason to be happy because you woke up. So your gratitude starts the minute you open your eyes. And the choice is, what are your intentions for the day? How do you want to go forward in this day to either keep you on a path of happiness or to keep you on a path of misery? That's a choice. Just like eating. Every single piece of food we put in our mouths is either fighting inflammation or it's feeding it. Mm. So you have a choice. You can either choose to heal your body through food or you can choose to feed yourself crap and continue the cycle of inflammation. And over time, that inflammation will lead to chronic illness. Mm -hmm. So you can either, you know, someone just asked me this the other day, well, eating organic or eating healthy. Somebody just made the statement to me two days ago because I've chosen to go completely plant based right now. And um, they said, well, being vegan is expensive. It's really just too, too expensive. And I said, is it? Is it really too expensive? Because if you're not and you go to the store and you're buying a couple of pounds of meat for your family for the week and you're buying chips and crackers and boxes of cereal and orange juice and I don't buy those things. Mm. So the money you're spending there, I'm choosing to spend on produce. Mm-hmm. So actually, who's spending more money? I don't buy everything organic. I buy the dirtiest foods organic and the rest I do a, a vinegar bath and I wash my stuff mm. because what I feed myself, my body will either help me or it's going to hurt me. And I've been down that road. So now this is a road I choose to take. I don't eat to live. I live to eat, you know, or eat to live because I want to, I got this chance with HSCT. And I'm going to do everything that I can within my control 
to choose to be healthy and choose to live long. Hmm. The best that I can, I want to feel good. And when I feel good, it's because I'm eating good and I'm nourishing my system. And that comes with moving my body every day, whether it's just taking a walk with my dog, whether it's doing yoga, whether it's doing a hard workout or lifting weights, whatever my abilities are, I do. And I choose to be mindful, which means I choose to think about how I want to be treated. I choose to think about how I want to treat other people. I choose how I want my day to go. And how to treat yourself. Yeah. And that comes first, you know. If we don't fill our own cup, we sure can't give to anybody else. We can't give on emptiness. So give to yourself first. Choose happiness. Choose to do your best and live your best life, especially if you're living with a chronic illness. You have a choice of how you want to work. You can feed yourself nourishing, healthy, energizing foods, and you can get better. Or you can choose to not do that and stay in the cycle of inflammation and continue to feed the disease. And that's where it's hard to find the courage, right? When you're trapped in that endless cycle of just disease mindset. And a lot of that is not your fault. It is the disease trying to take your body down. It is. But if you, if you choose to fight back, mm-hmm. you know, instead of saying, I'm Allie, I am MS, you know, I'm Allie and I happen to live with MS. You're Jen, you happen to live with MS. But you and I fight every day because we're not going to let that win. Right. And yes, I know it's hard and I know it's easy to say I don't have the courage or I don't have the discipline or the willpower to do it. But that's a choice. It's not that you don't have it. It's that you're choosing not to have it. I want to be clear about that. I know that there may be pushback against the statement and I'm aware of that. It's not that you don't have it or can't do it. You can do it. It is a choice. It's a choice to say, I will not let the disease win. I am way more powerful than this disease. You know, I had a a gentleman that used to be in a group that I ran for MS and he was diagnosed later in life and he was a lawyer and he developed MS. He was an avid tennis player and he developed MS and I think he got it either in his late fifties or maybe even at 60 and he became a quadriplegic. He had one, one lesion and it took him out and he is wheelchair bound. Can't move from the neck down. He still practices. He has written two books in this time. He still is an advocate for the disease. He's an advocate for his industry. He still has the most positive um, attitude. He has caretakers. He's married. He has a caretaker and he's hired. And yes, he has the finances to bring in somebody, but he has somebody that helps move his body for him every day when he's out of the wheelchair. And you know what? All of that was choice. He could have said, I'm a quadriplegic. I can't move. I've given up. The MS took over. I'm done. And he could lay in bed and, and just go. But he made choices, even though he couldn't move his body. He chose to continue living his life. He still travels, you know? That's fantastic. Um, That's courageous. And to me, that was one of the most courageous and inspiring Mm -hmm. stories that helped me keep fighting for what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Because I used to look at him and I said, if he can do this, I can do this. I have no excuses. If this gentleman can keep living happy every day and keep getting his exercise and keep traveling and keep doing more and more in his career even 
after all of this, I have no excuse. <laughs> so I'm going to choose to do better. And it is a choice. I'm not saying about you can make a body move that doesn't move, but you can choose where your mind wants to go. Mm, so important and so important to find those insights from an inspiration from others, right? And then carry mm-hmm. that in our own way so that we can right. challenge our narrative and we can challenge our mindset to shift, focus yeah. on possibilities. And yeah, thank you for finding that and sharing that with us. Thank you for letting me be a part of this for the next season. Oh, it's so exciting that we continue to help inspire others to pursue HSCT, yes. right? Yes. It's Absolutely. Kind of living that legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was just going to say, I'm glad that we get to be a part of, you know, inspiring other people through our true real stories. Mm. Um, that we get to, you know, be that source of inspiration or motivation and help people see that there are things that can be done. And being your authentic self is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm. It's good to be genuine with you. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I agree. I love talking to you. And I'm grateful that uh, I get to be a part of your podcast and a part, still be a part of the HSCT community this way. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and learn with you. Thank you so much. Allie Strong, you're just the greatest. You take good care of yourself. Thank you. You too. Gee whiz, we didn't even talk COVID. That's amazing. I know. It's crazy. How how did we miss that one? It's a nice it's a nice break though from like You know what? It's nice to not have to talk about it right now. Yeah. Be sure to visit our website where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Alitzauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. It has been so great to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us online, on Instagram, or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.